श्रीला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री नवदुर्धाम की जय घोर भक्तवृंद की जय घोरतमान हरि हरि Forgot to put the mic, sorry. So, <clears throat> welcome to all of you, Pranam, from Sri Mayapurtham. And we are meeting again for another series of questions and answers. This is Tagosti trying to uh, establish our ideal, establish our istadev, establish all those things that need to be established. In order to walk, to thread the path towards our ultimate ideal, in this particular conversational format, where we are invited to share uh, questions, ideas, topics, and all together we try to inspire one another to invoke proper revelation, proper answers. Krishna says in the Gita, Katayantastamamnitimtusyantichara mamtich. We are to nourish one another in Sadhu Sangha, we are to perpetually invoke Harikata, and in that context, enlightenment will happen. Mutual enlightenment will mystically uh, manifest. If, if both parties are sincerely trying to invest their consciousness, invest their pran, their very life airs, their very life ideals in that direction. So that's our hope today and hopefully every single day. So <clears throat> that's it, some brief introductory words and I invite any of you who may have any question, something you would like to hear, to hear, to share, to speak about. Uh, you can unmute yourself if you want, you can share the question in a written format in the chat, you can raise your hand, whatever. Are there any questions? Uh, Sarah Grahi, you had a question? Yes, can you hear me Maharaj? Yes, I can hear you. Alright, I'm just walking so I needed to find yeah. some peaceful space. I think I know that, I think I know that park. <laughs> yes, I think you do. <laughs> My question, I wasn't able to, I was planning to write it down because it's uh, it's simple question actually and I heard many answers to it. But this time I don't need it for myself and I kind of help my friends with it. But I have two friends, they are Vaishnavas and they, uh, they are disciples of our Guru Maharaj. So you can imagine what kind of things they heard from him. But they still, after so many years, and uh, blaming Krishna for things what happened to them. You know, they know karma, they know re uh, reincarnation, they know all of these things, but there is this bitterness in them and sadness, and this is what worries me, and therefore I'm like trying to help them already for a really long time, and I know that sometimes we need to find this teachable moment and some answers which are... They worked for me like years back, 
and they don't work for them. So I'm just wondering how to approach them, how to help them. And I never perhaps heard any answer to this kind of question from you. So I, I, I wonder if, if you could share something else about it. Mm -hmm. Did you get my question? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, was yeah. it clear enough? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. <laughs> so I will switch my video because I am on, I am moving. So oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. So, yeah, this is a, a classical one, I will say. <laughs> and uh, generally, that shows many things. Of course, every case is very different. And even though I may know uh, that the, people's, the people you refer are disciples of our Guru Maharaj, my Guru Maharaj, your Guru Maharaj, our Guru Maharaj, uh, still, every situation is very specific, very unique. But of course, at the end of the day, no matter which case and which situation we are speaking, uh, the very fact of blaming Krishna for whatever is maybe happening to us is not something we we, we want to to embrace as, as our desired conclusion, basically. And again, there may be many reasons for that. Uh, I have had similar experiences with, with, with devotees who also, whenever it's going on as they like in their life, if you will, they're happy with Krishna, they're worshipping Him. But eventually if something happens, some calamity comes to their door, if you will, they get like angry with Krishna. I remember one the Bodhi who had the altar and whenever she, 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 well, I won't enter into details of the case, but she wanted something and that was not happening. And that was not happening. She really wanted that. And well, basically she took the altar and dismantled the whole altar, basically, because she was feeling Krishna is not supporting me. And Krishna is not, uh, how to say, making my dreams come true. Hmm? <laughs> So, of course, I can say something in that particular case, but in general I will say that happens because of a, still a, how to say, a quite, um, quite an immature approach to our relationship with Krishna. Seeing God still as someone who is there to facilitate, to serve me. And, and again, there is place for that in some stages of the practice. Krishna is allowing that to happen in the Gita, for example, when he says, different people approach me and eventually surrender to me, but eventually, at the beginning, they approach me with the certain perks they want to obtain from me, from God. They, they got the news. If you approach God, you can obtain Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, not too many people is interested, <laughs> and, and, and Bhakti is even above Moksha. So, in the beginning, one's approach may be that. It's some form of exploitation yet. Some, if you will, we can call, it's, it's a Bhakti mixed with Karma, with fruitive uh, addressing of the Divine. Give me. My concern is, how my dreams come true. Hmm? 
My concern is not yet how I wake up from the dream. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not fully willing to accept that I'm dreaming and that, my, that most of my dreams are part of a dream that I need to wake up from. In the beginning of my life, eventually, of course, we wake up and we have dreams, if you will, ideals, in the context of our awakening, our enlightenment. But in some stage, still what we consider as our dreams or as our desires generally are part of something that needs to be acknowledged and properly transcended in time. Again, it's a gradual process and that's why Krishna mercifully accepts our approach wherever we may be. Wherever we may be, we can begin bhakti. And so that's very generous. There's no need to, to have a very special qualification as in other processes like jnana, like yoga. You know? If you read the preliminary adhikar for engaging in those marks, in those paths, you may start to shake, basically. Brahmacharya, sannyas, and things like this, as preliminary stuff. <laughs> so Bhakti is so generous and accepts us from day one with all the messiness that still accompany us. Why? Because Bhakti is so much powerful that jnana, yoga, karma. So it has the capacity of dealing with our impurities from day one and uplift us from that. While other processes are not so powerful, so at first they need that we get more uplifted ourselves, if you will, and then we can try the path. So that's important because <clears throat> sometimes we forget those things. We forget how we were embraced by bhakti in a very generous way. And the forgetfulness of those, fa of those facts sometimes quite influence this type of uh, attitudes that you are describing. Mm? That we expect Krishna to serve us, we expect that life should work in a certain way now that I am a devotee, mm? things like this. But still we, are, we may be quite attached. And again, all the things I may be saying, I, I'm not saying you have to go and tell this to your friends, but Sometimes, I mean, the real answer I reply to some situation is basically to, to tell the truth, hopefully in the best possible way. But, I mean, if we are, if we are not willing to hear and accept the truth, probably that's, that's our main problem. And, and truth should be always uh, sweet, even though we may feel that bitter because of jaundice, <laughs> internal jaundice. In nature, truth is sweet. Krishna is Param's Tattva, Supreme Truth, Satyam Param Dimahi, Ahismaduram Maduram Maduram Maduram, as Vilpa Mangala will say. You know, he, 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 when he starts to describe Krishna, he just found that word and he cannot go say more about, apart from Maduram Maduram Maduram. Everything about you is sweet, 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 sweet. That's the ultimate nature of truth. So we should at least bear that idea in mind and not be afraid of truth, Don't, not be a, afraid of sweetness, basically. Conditional life means I'm afraid of sweetness, basically. And still, I'm investing so much of myself in bitterness, in the bitterness of so-called sweetness. <laughs> so, so, yeah, in the beginning, this idea, not only in the beginning, I will say, no? for, for many years, Maybe this type of psychology, maybe they're in different layers. There are so many different layers of this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because in the beginning we may have our still certain desires separate from Krishna. And 
and, and we want Krishna to serve us in that in that context, eventually we realize that's not good. So I, I want I have certain desires in the context of serving Krishna. So I want to serve Krishna in this way. I want to, to engage in that in this project to please my Guru Maharaj, which all of that is okay, but still there is some some how to say may, there may be again some glimpse of what I want. There may be not so much still acknowledgement and awareness of what Krishna wants, what Guru wants, but just a projection of what we want in the context of Guru Seva Krishna. So again, that's we have to begin somewhere, as Rupa Goswami says. Offer to Krishna what he likes the most, but if it is too much for you, offer Krishna what you like the most. But at least try to make Bhagavan part of the equation. And the more you do that, the more you attract the grace of Swarup Shakti, Bhakti Shakti, and the more you get a, a taste and a glimpse of what's the requirement on the other side, if you will, what's the need of the moment, what's the, the particular wish that Bhagavan and Sri Guru and the Vaishnava uh, have in their hearts, and we kind of start to identify more and more with that. And eventually, such level of identification will give us a whole spiritual identity where we ourselves will have, we will be full of desires, but all of them will be in the context of pleasing Krishna. Like my Guru Maharaj used to say, every devotee in Vrindavan is not an automaton. They have desires. They like, someone will like more bananas, someone will like more mangoes, but those likes and dislikes won't be in the context of separate sense of identity, but all of that will be in the context of giving pleasure to Krishna. All of their likes and dislikes are totally giving satisfaction to Hari. Mm. So that's the ultimate reach. Mm. Braj, Aprakrat, Aprakit, Aprakrita. So, going back to, to the situation of your friends, which is on, not only the situation of your friends, I will say, <laughs> but it's the situation of maybe most of us on one level or another. Uh, again, the, one of the big tests is to really Saranagati, basically. I would say. Saranagati implies surrender, implies trying to allow ourselves to be puppeted, moved magically by the sweet will of Bhagavan and trust his movements in our life. Trust that he is seeing the, re the bigger picture we are not seeing yet. And this is again, it's a, it's a quantum leap of faith, faith for most. But that's a fact. No? For example, these days I, I was studying one verse from the Bhagavad, which is a, a well-known one, but somehow or other I never committed that to memory, so I wanted to, to learn it from heart. And it may be one of the most... <laughs> um, like, as you have the Apichet Sudra Charo verse in the Gita, like one of the most controversial ones. Here I would say this is one of the most controversial ones in the Bhagavad, in another direction, but similar, no? When Krishna himself, Bhagavan is saying, Jasyaham anugrinani arisyetat dhanam sanai tato dhanam tyajantyasya sajana dukadukitam. Maybe you know that one? It's from 10th canto, chapter 88, verse number 8. So Krishna basically saying, If I especially favor someone, I, gradually will, I will gradually deprive that person from all his wealth. Then, the relatives and friends of such a poverty-stricken person will abandon him. In this way, he suffers 
one distress after another. So you can hear this verse and you can feel, oh my God, what I'm doing here? I, I, I entered the wrong, I'm riding the, the wrong vehicle, I'm in the wrong path or something. But we should understand what Krishna means here. <clears throat> of course, this is in a particular context. Now, Krishna is not promoting masochism or I want my devotees to suffer. We know that Krishna is Bhaktavatsala, Bhaktavaktimam. That's a, the very definition of Bhagavan given in the Bhagavatam. He's the devotee of his devotees. He's the Bhakta of his Bhakta. So, and he lives to please them. Aham Bhakta Bharad, you know, he has Shatantri Bhadvija. So many statements in the Bhagavatam when Krishna said, I just live to follow in the footsteps of my devotees. I pray to be purified by the dust of their lotus feet. I cons- my own Abhiman, my own self I- consideration is, I am a servant of them. Hmm. And so on. So, how we accommodate this other fact? Well, this other fact has to be accommodated, this verse. In that particular context, all this is in the in the context of Bhagavan serving his devotee. By Bhagavan providing to, to each of us certain, sometimes certain difficulties, certain particular so-called miseries, put the name you want. And it's full of that, the Bhagavan, the Gita, problems, obstacles, so-called, what, something that we will perceive as obstacles. Bhagavan knows better than us what we still perceive as a problem, as an obstacle, and he will put that in front of our face. So we learn to integrate that and stop seeing that as something negative and learn to nourish from the so-called negativity that is affecting our lives. So that's what Bhagavan actually is saying here. When he says, um, if I want to favor Anugrinami, he says, Anugrinami, if I want to favor, Anugrinami is favor, I want to favor someone, and he's speaking about my devotee, Harishye. Harishye means his Hari. He takes away. What? Taddhanam. All his wealth. Wealth doesn't necessarily mean money. Because some devotee may already not have a single penny. <laughs> but wealth means those things where, where I feel there is wealth. Where I feel there is Artha. But actually there is no real Artha. Actually there is an Artha. False sense of wealth. But if, if you feel there is wealth there, there is dhana, there is some treasure waiting for me, some attachment basically, some false sense of perception, false perception of reality, I will take that. But Krishna also says, shanai. Shanai means gradually. Gradually. I won't do that in, in, in a moment and, and, and throw my devotee in a paranoid state and something like that. He knows how much we can deal with each situation. So, even if in some situation we feel this is not gradual, you should remember, this is gradual. Hmm. According to Bhagavan's standard, this is gradual. I should understand this is actually a gradual thing. There are so many other things that still he's keeping with me because he knows I'm too attached, let's say. Hmm. So, he's taking these gradually. He's arranging all this particular scenario hmm, so I can get closer to him. He's trying to favor me. Famous prayer by Sri Brahmaji. He says the same line. If someone if someone is really hungering to receive your grace, that person 
will, in a very comprehensive way, will tolerate all the results from his past misdeeds. And meanwhile, will, with mind, words, and heart, uh, and act, and body, and, and acts, will engage in your service, in your bhajan. Feeling, Srila Siramaras adds, like, this thing that is coming to my life is just a little thing. Actually, if I will have to really reap the fruits of my previous activities, I will have to pay much more expensive money, if you will. <laughs> so, this verse is making this point. To pay the price of, if you really want mercy, one of the prices, if you really want mercy, Brown is saying here, you will develop a very, you have lots of integrity with dealing with, with, with those things that are coming to your life. Not, not complain, not find fault in Bhagavan. So this other verse of the Bhagavan is saying the same thing. Whenever something so-called miserable is knocking on my door, I should remember over and over again, this is Bhagavan trying to favor me. This is Krishna's extended hat coming to my life. So of course the, pro, the question is, why I'm not feeling that sometimes? Why I'm feeling exactly the opposite? So again, at that point, it's, it's, it's not correct to feel, oh, Bhagavan must be mistaken. He's doing something wrong. He doesn't know what I need. No, the question is, I do not, the point is, I do not know what I need, actually, ultimately. And he really knows that. And, and th that, this is my test of faith today. My faith is put to test. We need our faith to be put to test so we can see where we are. Mm. That's the prayer of Kunti mm. when she's saying, Darshanam. She's asking for one, she's saying one problem after another, but actually he's basically saying one test after another. So every time that test comes, I will see you over and over again in those tests. So, and, and again, with this idea, Shanae, this is gradually, Krishna is sending this in very sustainable installments. He doesn't want to destroy me. He really knows my adhikar. Hmm. And that's why we also should know our adhikar, as we spoke the other day. That's real beauty. Because when you know where you are standing, you will also know, okay, if I know where I'm standing, for sure Bhagavan knows much better where I'm standing, and for sure this particular situation that is coming, hmm, I'm trying to be a bhakta, I'm trying to submit myself to the department of Bhakti Devi, Swarup Shakti, Krishna himself is taking direct responsibility for his devotees. He's himself distributing mm, the particular reactions in their life. No longer that has to be seen as karma. In the words of Vishwanachakravarti Thakur, that's got to be considered as shobana karma. And even if some karma in the life of the devotee was there, now it's coming in a particular form due to the contact with bhakti. Mm. So that particular reaction is coming in such a way that has the, the intention to upgrade our devotion. So we should have that faith. And of course, for having that faith, we should have also proper understanding of what's going on and why it's going on and where we are and how we should react to that. Because I'm sure that if you choose, I mean, you can choose to blame God and, and, and get angry with Him, but I don't think that will solve at all any single situation that actually will make things worse. Because for you getting angry at God, what happens with that? I mean, it's not that you get real solution for that, for the dilemma you are in. So I will try to encourage those people 
because again, it's those people is not someone outside of us. And we also go through those situations <laughs> over and over again. So in those moments, we should take a break, if you will, take some distance, some objective detachment, and analyze the situation, pray from the depth of our heart, and trying to be open this to a new perspective, to a different viewpoint, as Sula Samras will say, try to change your angle of vision. Try to change, that's your service. That's your permanent, perpetual service. Try to change your angle of view. Try to accommodate every single situation that comes to your life mm, in a way that nourishes your bhajan, nourishes your faith, not that makes you angry with God. If that's happening, that's, that's a symptom that you need to change, adjust your angle of vision. Do not expect the rest of the world, God himself, to adjust to your angle of vision. Life doesn't work in that way. Mm. So some ideas, of course, we could continue for a long time speaking about this, but some, some thoughts about that since some other questions are, are coming. So there are two more questions written in the chat. Also, I see Abraham Stokes raising his hand, so I may invite him to, to take the mic since maybe he may have some question connected to the topic, or if not, no problem. Yeah, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful discussion and invitation I was um, wondering you're talking about adjusting your angle of vision mm. when you're angry at somebody mm. and from what I've experienced I can adjust my angle of vision with my head like I can understand a situation with my head that is best for me or I have an attachment with the relationship relationships especially I was thinking about and uh, but the feeling isn't there so I'm wondering how can we connect our angle of vision with our head to our heart and the feelings of that Okay, thank you for the question. Well, I will say that in, in many cases, the whole process starts from the head, if you will. <laughs> because if, if, you, if you go to the feeling immediately, as you mentioned, you may feel angry, you already are in the feeling stage. <laughs> so you have to remove yourself from the feeling arena, because that type of emotional disposition is, may be driving you crazy angry and more angry and who knows where that ends. So you need to cool down from that emotional fire and put some head water on it, if you will. Try to refresh, <laughs> take some distance, analyze what's going on, become calm, get detached from the dynamics, from these ideas of my enemy, he's against me, taking things personal, victim consciousness and whatnot. And then after using that head, hmm, I will say we can try to, to, to transform that conclusion, that, if you will, intellectual conclusion, if you want to call it like that, we can transform that intellectual conclusion into a, into a prayer, I would recommend. And, and there we start to move again towards the feeling side, towards the heart, to the real feeling, because the other feeling was not the heart. If you are feeling angry or envious, or whatever, that's not the heart, as we may call it, figure, figure symbolically. It's more our mind, uncontrolled mind. Mm -hmm. So we are to move from our uncontrolled mind to our intellect, from the intellect to the heart, if you want to, to put it in some way. So I will, it's a gradual process for sure. It's not some, there's no magical formula that you press the button and you already are dealing with everything from the topmost heart level of something. But gradually we get trained into that system, if you will, and it becomes more and more natural. So I will say, yeah, whenever this 
realm of material emotions come in the form of whether attachment in relationship, each one has their own acquiles heal, so you, you, you check for yourself. So you try to <clears throat> remove yourself from that emotional uh, intensity that is distracting you, that may be disturbing you. You take a distance, you try to detach yourself from the character, if you will, that you were in, into that particular set of dynamics. You know? I am the enemy, I am the victim, I am this. I mean, so many masks are there. So you, you take a distance from that, and with your intellect, as, as I always say, you try to make a brief summary in, 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 in one, two minutes of the whole basics of our philosophy. <laughs> Sometimes we need to make this like encapsulated uh, uh, summary in a sutra form, one minute. Who am I? I'm soul, I'm not mine, I'm not this body, I'm not all the sense of characters, all the situations are so temporary. From the eternal point of view, what is the repercussion of this particular single insignificant situation? In one sense, no? like, like trying to detach yourself from whatever you may be feeling in connection to something that is totally illusory. So then you start to get grounded in reality, then you start to get a proper, again, angle of vision, and to include Bhagavan in the equation, and to try to see the bigger picture, what's the purpose here, what I'm to learn from here, how my bhajan is to be nourished, what's the teaching in this situation, if I do not learn from this, situation will come over and over again, in one form or another, for sure, <laughs> till I learn it. And eventually, again, when you have a clearer picture in your head, if you will, of all that, you can try to move gradually, smoothly, to the realm of prayer. You start with that clear panorama, you start to try to, 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 to make that intellectual concept, if you will, try to make that a prayer. That's a nice exercise to harmonize head and heart, because we are to do that. We have a head, we have a heart, and we need to use them properly. The two of them are to, to live together, basically, especially for the aspiring Madhyam Bhakta. So I will recommend that, Abraham. Try to take whatever uh, head conclusion you got, or whatever intellectual clarity you obtained by situating in a particular angle that allow you to see a bigger picture. From there, try to move into the dimension of, of prayer. So you address a higher power, if you will, having established in theory who I am, who is Bhagavan, having established the Sambanda, I will say what we call Sambanda, or conceptual orientation, who is who, what is what, then gradually you try to move to the realm of Abhideya, or the practice. Having a clear and theory, we move to that, with that theory in hand, in head, we move to the practice. And practice for us is mostly chanting, and chanting, of course, is a way of saying also praying, addressing the Absolute in a humble way, in a humble mood, and so on. And of course, from that will come a particular priyogen, a particular fruit, sweet fruit, result. Mm? That, of course, it will become a new insect and realization to continue in our life journey. So, a brief, maybe, reply, but I hope that that helps as a complement to, to the previous topic. Okay. So, there are some questions in the chat. Uh, I see two of them. So, there's one sent. I will address first the one by Mukunda Prabhu, since it's somehow 
connected and then I will address the first one actually sent by Carolina and of course if we have time and there are further questions we also can speak about that. So Mukunda is saying <clears throat> discussing the faults of others especially devotees is such a relishable experience. Can you give me some guidance on how one can reduce or completely eradicate the pleasure that comes from fault finding? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the way you, you put it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sadly pleasurable, I would say. Again, going back to the jaundice uh, analogy. We have a, f a totally false sense of sweetness. So, unfortunately, we still relish in, in that which is basically made of stool, we will say. Because that's what basically the conclusion is, as Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will mention. Pratishta Sukarabhishta, of course, Pratishta is somehow different to this, but it's in the same line. It has to do with stool stuff, basically. Sometimes the, the example is of the, you can be a swan, or you can be like a fly. So the fly is attracted to the ex, to the stool and likes to remain there. And even if you put the fly off, immediately will go back. If you don't keep doing like this, moving your hand, get out, get out, get out, get out, the fly will return over and over again because that's their, they find their, their nectar, if you will, there. While a swan, as we know, it presents a totally different disposition, taking the essence, even if there are some even if there is some stool, if you will, <laughs> on, the, on, on, the, on the surface of the whole thing, the swan will take the essence of everything. Mm -hmm. But the fly will just remain in the stool level, if you will. So, fault-finding is, yeah, is one of the, how to say, one of the... I, I, some time ago I, I re read a very interesting article on that. If you can later remind me, Mukunda Prabhu, by private message, I can do some research and share that with you as well. Because I do not myself even remember where, where I found that article, but mostly the main point there was that fault finding is uh, one of the most, um, how to say, unhealthy habits and dangerous, they create the most havoc and reactions in our life, but also they are one of the most easiest things to engage in, to indulge in. So easy. I mean, so, so, so easy. Immediately you can do that. Especially nowadays with the facilitation, facilitator of social media and so on. But at the same time, as we mentioned, that's the very first thing we are to avoid. As we know, when Sri Raghunadaskar Swami, our Prayojan Tattvacharya, he inquired from Sriman Mahaprabhu about uh, give me some personal advice about the goal of life and how to attain it. And again, we may wonder what must Mahaprabhu have said to someone like Das Goswami? And he said, of course, many things, all of them quite encapsulated and, and converging in Brajama, Radha Krishna Seva Manasa Karibe. You know? Serve Radha and Krishna in your mind. So that's, that was the ultimate converging point. In your mind, serve Radha and Krishna in Braj. But how did all began? This, all this was in two verses. So the first verse starts saying Gramya Katanan Sunibe, Gramya Bhartanakahibe. Which means basically do not hear gossip, do not speak gossip. 
And of course, fault finding has to do with gossip. It's one of the, it may be the worst form of gossip because there are varieties of gossip. We could say there are more healthy, healthier way of gossip, if you will, or non, not so much damaging. But when you point your gossip into the direction of speaking about the faults of others, especially devotees, as you put it, and you find that relishable, I mean, that really, all that put together speaks about, I mean, you need help. We need help if, if, we, if we are there. So the very first thing, so for me that's a very important point. I mean, Mahaprabhu is speaking to the very embodiment of the goal of life for us Gaudias, Raguna Das Goswami, Prayojan Tattva Acharya. He's the one who, through his achar, is personifying the ultimate goal to attain. And when he himself, actually, for, for helping us, is asking, can you instruct me regarding how to attain the goal of life? And the very first thing Mahaprabhu says, do not gossip in any form. Then we can speak about other things. No? Then he says other things. Do not wear fancy clothes, do not eat fancy food, hmm? follow the third verse of Sikshastakam while chanting Harinam and in your mind serve Radha and Krishna. Many other things we can say, but to begin with, do not gossip, which means basically do not engage, yeah, you ultimately in Vaishnav Aparad. Hmm? So, <clears throat> for our mind, if we find that relishable, basically that's an uh, a basic mechanism where we uh, find some relief, I will say, in the faults of others instead of trying to pay attention to our faults. Mm-hmm. And most probably, if that's going on, most probably those faults are mostly our own faults projected into the other person than the other person's faults. Most probably. If we find relief and relishment, <laughs> I mean, the more we relish that, the more that's speaking about how evasive we are being and how much we are projecting our own world as a, as a mirror, if you will. You see the world according to your world, at least on some level. So that speaks a lot about how, how far we are from the experience of Bhakti Rasa, for sure. How much we are from Ruchi Bhakti, from having a real sense of taste, a real sense of mellow, a real sense of relishment, because still we are extracting, feeling honey in stool, basically. We are tasting stool and we find, wow, this is so sweet. Do you have more? <laughs> so that speaks how much our tongue is corrupted. So of course we need to upgrade our tongue, upgrade our inner tongue, our inner tasting organ, if you will. And I would say mostly that has to do with concentrating or invoking, because it's not only saying, okay, I won't fault find, I won't find faults in others. And you just invoke the denial of that. I will stop finding faults. But also, on top of that, try to see virtues in others. That's the only way you can really replace that reality. And that's a famous example that, that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta shared when he knew he had two, two or more disciples that they were having this type of, they were like, how to say, uh, like bewitched it by this tendency of only seeing a fault in the other person. Uh, because this, this can happen in so many ways. You know? For example, sometimes you can have a nice relationship with someone, but suddenly that person did something you don't like, and suddenly you only start to see bad things about that person. 
you stop, you, you can no longer see anything good in the person. But interestingly, that's only why, because the person did something you didn't like. So that speaks more about how attached we are for, to having people doing things we like, basically, for having people serving us. So whenever they stop serving us, we start to criticize them. And that's happened so much. I mean, this is a classical situation. So much people is praising you in a very cheap way, superficial way, as, as long as you do the things they like you to do for them. They will praise you, they will glorify you, they will consider you a Shaktivist, avatar, who knows what. But the moment you do something they don't like, they will start criticizing you, like nobody else sometimes. So that happens. So that's cheap criticism and cheap praise. So we are not interested in, e in either of them. And of course, social media is, is the mother source of all that. I mean, if you really want to immerse yourself in a pool of stool, you just are one click left from that. Just It's one click and you have the worst pos possible form of Abhishek you can do to yourself. <laughs> cheap praise, cheap criticism. Totally superficial, nobody's, mostly, of course, mostly I'm saying, there are exceptions to the rule, but the rule is mostly nobody's interested about, nobody's giving a damn for anyone. They're just wanting any, the other person to entertain you, gratify you, distract you, help you with being evasive. So the more you say the things that, that confirm my prejudices, I love you, I like you, you are incredible. The more you are not challenging my, my belief system, oh, you are so friendly with me. I will support you whenever you need. <laughs> and so on. But the moment something starts to challenge our comfort zone, generally, at least generally, we perceive that as an enemy. Even unconsciously, subconsciously, we perceive the enemy is approaching. I need to protect myself. I need to attack. I'm in danger. Because we are, I mean, generally people who are attacking and criticizing in the background, they are totally afraid. They are full of fear. So they are projecting enemies everywhere, everywhere. Everything that does not conform with their set of values, again, that challenges their belief system, immediately they perceive as some opposition that needs to be uh, banished as soon as possible. So, I'm saying all this because many of these things are actually the unconscious, subconscious bias underlying background to our fault finding. It's not just that I will criticize that devotee because I would like to criticize. No, there are so many subconscious layers that we need to acknowledge in order to understand our fault finding. That's why Mahaprabhu begins by saying not only Gramikatanasuni but Chitodarpuna Marjanam, which means Embrace your subconscious. Embrace your chitta. Chitta means your subconscious. Take full responsibility for that. Clean that mirror. Deal with that dust. Clean the mirror of the subconscious means deal with the dust that will come from that cleaning. <laughs> you fall. I mean, it's not that just, I'm cleaning, now it's perfectly clear. No, it's a mess in the beginning. It's full of dust and you are totally covered by that dust and what's this, that was going on. I have to recognize that. So it's important to understand the, the psychology, the underlying psychology behind fault finding. Externally, yes, it's the easiest thing, the cheap, but why? What is taking us there? Again, as I mentioned, evasive mechanism, fear of being challenged, hmm? 
false perception of enemies, duality, this type of mental duality that takes us to attack. And attack means sometimes fault finding. Like he's wrong because of that. So immediately in, in your mind you find some dopamine, maybe. Dopamine relief. Oh, no, he's, because, he's mistaken because of that, so I'm, I'm correct. Because he's mistaken, I'm okay. Because he's wrong, I'm doing things properly. So this type of subconsciously this may be happening, even. And we get some, again, as you mentioned, some relishment, some rasa, quote-unquote. But for the sages, that will be vibhatsa rasa. <laughs> vibhatsa. Vibhatsa is the rasa of uh, how disgust, basically. Which is, no, in one sense, no rasa at all in, in, in this particular case. And here I'm not analyzing the details of Vaishnava Purat, because I, I don't think that the only solution is try to think about how how delicate will be the consequence of Vaishnava Purat, so stop finding faults because you will go to hell. I don't think that will be the, the ultimate advice that will work for stop fault finding. <laughs> you, may, you, you, are, you are doing all that fault finding because of fear, and now I'm adding an extra layer of fear to you by saying all the things. So maybe who knows how it works in your subconscious, your fear even maximizes and you end up doing more fault finding. <laughs> So, it, 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 had, it can happen. So, I, I think it's good to, for us to try to, again, dismantle all this like, structure, all this system. Gradually, it may take time. But try to be introspective and, and analyze. What is taking me to see this particular defect in this particular person? And, of course, when, if you really take the time to think about that, very quickly you will realize, actually, it's not about this particular person. I mean, you, in many cases, you, you don't ever have a clue who is that person. And sometimes it's not even the particular thing you see in that particular person. And gradually you get closer to the other person, to, to yourself. So I, I was telling you hmm, that the more you, you, you take your time, if you will, for analyzing this type of underlying background, you realize it was not about the person. So you start like to... This disidentify the fault finding from that particular so-called enemy and then you again realize and it was not even the particular thing I saw about that person so gradually you get closer and closer to yourself and you realize it was all about me if you will about something that why I acted like this why I, per I perceived some particular threat threat why I attacked in the form of seeing the fall what I'm trying to, to cover what I'm trying to defend myself in relation to. And gradually you start to go to this type of root causes that have to do with what characterizes conditioned beings. Fear arising out of duality and making perceived separate interest. So gradually, gradually, we can... And by doing that exercise, and this may be connected to my reply to Abraham in some way, when you get to that glimpse in your head, because that may be an, an, an intellectual exercise in the beginning, you connect these different stages, you can con convert, transform this intellectual conclusion into a prayer. So you can pray for trying to upgrade your vision, to, to, to see something good in the other person, and so on. And, and I was mentioning that, I never mentioned the, the example, I think, of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, when he knew two of his disciples were in this particular type of uh, 
situation, no? like conditioned by only concentrating in one so-called fault in that particular person and vice versa, and not being able to see beyond that. That such narrow-mindedness is like looking at the keyhole in the, in, the, in the door instead of opening the door and seeing what's on the other part, on the other side. And you are trying to see in the keyhole, but there's a key put on the other side also, so you are not seeing even what's going on in the keyhole from the other side. Paul finally is, is that narrow-minded, actually. There's a key on the other side, so you are just seeing the darkness of the key in the hole. And you think that's what the other person is there. There's nothing there or something. So he, he called these two disciples and invited them and said, Okay, now you see, say some, some good quality in this devotee. And you also mentioned some good quality in your God-brother. And of course, he knew neither of them are seeing anything good about each other, but there, there was Sri Guru giving the instruction and somehow empowering them. So somehow they were, by the grace of Sri Guru, by the example of his presence there, they were able to find one good thing about the person. <laughs> one. Do not ask more. But after they see sell one, and they hear the other one seeing one as well, they receive this inspiration, this empowerment. Actually, there's not only one thing. I'm seeing two things. And now I'm seeing three. And now I'm seeing four. And by the time you start to see those qualities, the so-called fault totally diluted, disappeared. And you realize there was no fault at all, basically, ultimately. So I will recommend some of the things. And of course, as usual, I try to, <clears throat> to mention in, in the spirit of what my Guru Maharaj has taught me, that we have to be very generous to each other because Mahaprabhu... Has, is being so generous to us. Nityananda Prabhu, Srila Gurudev, the sadhus, are being so generous with us. I always repeat that, but we should never get tired of hearing it, which is, generally in this world, people are judging us sometimes. I mean, the worst possible, worst type of judging is, you are being judged even without, the person is judging you, and the person does not even know who you are, and doesn't even know what are you doing, what you did, but just judging you. Again, social media is like this. Condemning you forever without having a clue who you are. Some other people, a little bit more generous, will judge you for something you did 20 years ago or something. <laughs> At least that's more connected to who, what you did at some point in, in history. Some even, other people, even more generous, will judge you according to who you are now at present. They are not seeing the past and judging you because of what you did 20 years back. They, they know you can change. But on top of that, the most generous type of people are judging you, quote-unquote judging you, considering you, seeing you, according to what you can become in the future. They are seeing your potential, your prospect, and only seeing you in those terms. They are not seeing you separate from your potential. When they are seeing who you are at present, no matter how embarrassing that may be, immediately they are adjoining to that but you can become all this. As Sri Lassamaraj will say, your future is bright. That's who you are for me, Sri Lassamaraj will say to us. So try to imagine someone like Sri Lassamaraj telling to you, your future is bright, and that's who you are for me. Hmm. A bright future. And you may go to him crying with all your embarrassing and impossible to confess stuff. <laughs> and he will say, I don't care about those things. I mean, you can share them with me, but your future is bright. And that's who you are for me. So, the point is, 
Mahaprabhu is approaching us, his dispensation carries that, that nature. Hmm? That we are being blessed and being empowered and not being judged for our past, no, for our present, so for our future. So, if we are receiving such a gift, such a grace, how we can relate to others in terms of fault-finding? I mean, that, that's, a, that's totally unacceptable. The, confirm, something fell, like a roof or something fell in my back or something here. So, I mean, that will go against the very gift we are given. That's like biting the hand that is feeding you, basically. That's going against mercy. Sometimes they give this example of, of the cat, no? that, that the Sri Sampradaya uses. The cat is taking the kitten and the kitten is not doing anything, just being carried. Different from the monkey, baby monkey, who has to take from his mother. But even in the cat, in the case of the cat, I think we spoke about that in Bulgaria, even the cat has to allow himself to be carried. <laughs> no, the cat has not, mustn't, has not to attack her, her mother to bite the hand that is protecting him. The, cat, the kitten has something to do, that's the point, not the cat, the kitten. So again, we have something to do, so much is the grace of Mahaprabhu, but we have to not bite that hand. Because, and that's fault finding basically. It's going against our greatest and deepest interest. It's the worst thing we can do to ourselves, basically. Not even to others, to ourselves to begin with. So that's, so it, I think that's, that's nice to, to, to bring into the picture. Every time fault finding is coming, and you are seeing someone with certain eyes, immediately remember which are the eyes I am seeing with, being seen by, sorry, by Sri Guru by the sadhus, by Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, and so on. They are seeing me with a particular set of eyes. So, how am I to honor that vision in the way I'm seeing others? How I'm trying to be, yeah, have integrity and not contradict myself in that connection gradually. So, I think some of those ideas, hopefully, that may help. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Carolina, can you send me again the question? Because since I went out of Zoom, I lost all the, the previous chat. So I don't know if the question... I, I'm sure it remains for, for you there, but not for me here. So we have one more question by her. Meanwhile, if anyone has a follow-up question, I don't know, or comments, you may like to share regarding the topics we may be... We have been speaking with somehow... Uh, have been connected. <clears throat> I'm not seeing the question yet, just in case. <clears throat> or if you want to unmute yourself and present the question live, the same problem. I mean, I read it quickly before, something with the Devas and the, and the Brahma Gita, but I would prefer to read the whole question again. No, not able to find it? Sakirati, Shamananda, some follow-up question or whatever? Meanwhile? Yes, I Okay. Oh, we will go with Sakirati's question and then we'll go with, with your question, Carolina. 
We have time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, just a follow-up question regarding the answer you just gave. Um, if you can say something regarding like constructive criticism, because mm. sometimes get often confused with judgment and someone might get offended or things like that. Okay. Yes, of course, that's a good uh, follow-up and compliment to, to what we mentioned, because of course there is place for that as well. And I will say that's, as I mentioned, cheap praise and cheap criticism are totally uh, cheap, basically are totally toxic, undesirable, but uh, deep, committed praise and criticism is totally desirable. So that's really important to, to put on the other side of the scale. And, and that's, of course, something that hopefully may help us as well in our path. Of course, I'm the point, important point is that not necessarily every devotee is fully qualified to engage in constructive criticism. Now we will speak about that. But eventually all of us should learn to do that because it's not just about not criticizing and praising. Because sometimes also that may be some form of mechanical way. We may fall into cheap praise. And we may think, okay, I don't have to criticize. I don't have to engage in fault-finding. So I will, I will glorify. I will glorify the devotees. But still you are doing that in a real, in a relative superficial way. Maybe you have good intention. I'm not saying that's totally hypocritical. But still it's not, it doesn't have too much uh, commitment in between. So it's more a way of avoiding fault-finding. <laughs> well, real praise... Hmm? is uh, you are really concerned with the other person. You are really committed with the person you are mentioning to, whether the praise or whether the criticism. Real praise will, will come out as a result of a particular commitment in the relationship. It's not something you just can't do easily. You, you just cannot praise everyone and anyone without being in that committed stage, if you will, of re with reality. And the same with criticism. Of course, that's a very... Hopefully, we, we eventually grow and mature to the point of finding those things relishable. If you receive committed praise, that will be relishable for you in the sense that it will be humbling for you. Not in the sense that I'm relishing how they are praising me. Because a real deep praise will be, will be done in such a way that if you are well situated, that will be humbling. And hopefully, humility becomes relishable for us, because that's, those are the things we are to relish in our material spiritual life. There is, there is the real taste, the real rasa, even before you want to jump into the higher tastes, even, the highest rasas and so on. So the same applies, I mean, as you can relish constructive praise, because it will be humbling, we should also relish constructive criticism, because it also should be humbling from another perspective, and also it will be really... Uh, it's, you will perceive the affection of the other person coming to you in that particular form. You will feel, I really, that person really cares for me. Because he or she is taking the time and the trouble to approach me in such a deep, sincere way and concerned with my well-being and seeing what I can do to become a better person, a, a better devotee, 
and taking the risk of saying this to me without knowing how I will react to that <laughs> and trying to say that in the most, <clears throat> of course, sensitive way, empathic way. So that's a whole. You have to think about that. It's not just you open your mouth and there goes constructive criticism to the world or something. <clears throat> Unless you are, of course, totally advanced and everything that comes out of you is totally a, a, a descent of, of a flow of mercy. But if you are not there, sometimes you need to think about how to say, what to say. But you may have a proper intention, a proper concern. So <clears throat> it may be a whole investment of your time and energy and thinking how to properly say. And that's really valuable, basically, I would say. <clears throat> I personally will... One, one minute, sorry. I'm not putting myself as an example, but <clears throat> by the mercy of the Vaishnavas, I, I, I kind of at least glimpse at the value of engaging in proper constructive criticism. <clears throat> of course, not only giving that, but learning how to receive that. The two of them are equally challenging. <clears throat> and, uh, and I think that if I analyze my previous two decades with the devotees, I, I really have invested... I mean, if I put all together, I won't say minutes, hours, nor days, maybe nor weeks, I will say months in, in that exercise, in thinking about how to say certain things, in saying those things, in accompanying the person, and also in dealing with when someone was saying those things to me, and trying to think about that, trying to learn to... Re I'm not saying I, I was doing that perfectly from day one. I mean, so many failures in between as part of the learning curve and the art of embracing that properly, but all that time was worthy of, in, of my investment, that's my point. Because eventually you, and, and I'm not saying again, I, I, I haven't obtained my PhD in that at all, but in time you find some progress and you feel there is a taste in that again. There is a taste in, in going in that direction, in going to those places where you try to compassionately think and be concerned about others and occupy your mind, your thoughts, your emotions about how to engage in constructive criticism that helps you and saves you so much from from other mind processes, if you will, and engages your senses and captures your emotional uh, disposition so much. And the same with again when, when when speaking that and dealing with that and processing constructive criticism I have received. I'm, I mean that took so much time, but. That was, again, so important. So eventually it becomes like a second nature, more and more. That, that's the goal. So, <clears throat> in brief, before closing my reply, I will say that constructive criticism, because you also asked something, to speak about something, I remember, I think also in Bulgaria, we shared some list of steps that I personally consider are a must if you want to engage in constructive criticism. We are speaking here from the vantage point of sharing constructive criticism towards other person, since this was the main focus in this case, no? oneself towards the other one. And I will say to begin with, as I mentioned before, if you are thinking about a particular thing in the other person, let's say you see something in Shamananda, let's go to practical issue here, <laughs> and, and you say, okay, I will share this with Shamananda because that's constructive criticism. Before opening your mouth, you will you should think I will recommend. 
Is this really about Shamanan? Shamanan is Sakirati's wife, uh, husband, just in case. So, first you have to think, is this really about Shamananda? Or as I mentioned before, it's just my mental projection and whatever is in me, I'm trying to throw the, the, the baggage on him and make him responsible of that baggage. Well, I should take responsibility. So again, that will take time for you to contemplate and think and pray. That first step, you know, to make sure, no, no, this is not about me actually, it has to do with him. Okay, that is possible. That's, I'm not saying everything you see in others is actually in you. It may be in you also, and it may be in others as well. It may be only in others as well. So many opportunities. But we have to go through this filter. So once you realize, no, this is about Shamananda, next step you, you have to think is right, like, it's like, okay, so why I want to say this to him? I mean, it may be objectively something he, he has to change. But what's my intention in approaching him and sharing that to him? I mean, I, I'm really like situated in a compassionate uh, spirit. I really want the best for him. I want, I mean, it's, it's important to go through that filter as well because sometimes we may say something objectively true about the other person, but our intention is not precisely compassionate. So, and if, if compassion is not the, the norm, Again, we should close our mouth. <laughs> and we should work in compassion. And when compassionate spirit comes, then we can share that particular thing. Because if not, no matter how objectively true is what you are saying, if compassion is not there, there is, there is conflict, there is contradiction. And then after that, I'm just I mean, summarizing this process. We could put so many other stages in between, but I want just to make it simple. So first of all, it's not about me, actually. I'm not projecting my own idea, but it's about the other. Second, okay, it's about the other, but I want to say that in a compassionate spirit. And third, I open my mouth and share that with Shamananda, but I should be willing to accompany him in the process of changing that thing that I'm sharing that with him. It's not that... Shamananda, I want to share something that is objectively true, and I'm trying to be compassionate about that. So this is the situation. Good luck. Goodbye. And you leave the room. And leave the person with the, who knows, whatever he has to change. <laughs> so still, the, the compassionate uh, equation didn't make full circle there. For, for compassion to make full circle, it required, I would like to share this with you, that I have perceived hopefully in a compassionate spirit, and I commit myself to accompany you, to support you in the process of upgrading yourself in this particular thing. I take that responsibility because I, 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 to, I, I, cho I have chosen to open my mouth so that sound that went through you in the form of constructive criticism created a reaction coming back to me like a boomerang. So now I'm there with you. So you are not alone in that particular thing you need to change. So I will say if we respect these three uh, stages, we'll, we, we can really start to speak about constructive criticism. And again, we need time to think about, I'm really doing the three of them, I'm doing my homework with the three of them. So the whole process, till the other person reaches, gets to, to receive that, process that, ruminate on that, and change that, and, and you are thinking in between those three stages, that may take maybe some years. <laughs> But we should be willing, we should be willing to do so, because that's such a glorious and necessary 
experience for all of us. So, some ideas regarding constructive criticism. And of course, again, don't forget about the art of receiving that from others. And even if the other person is failing, because sometimes the other person may come to you and fail in some of these three stages. <laughs> Instead, maybe the person comes to you and is saying that something that is totally their own mind projection. But instead, you, should, you shouldn't just feel, oh, that's only his mind projection. There's nothing about, about that in, in my connection. You, you, one should be willing to think, let's see, maybe it was his projection, her projection, but I have to learn something from this. Something. And even if the person say that objectively true, but not with compassion, there is a lesson to learn about how to speak compassionately, and so on. So... As a hearer or as a speaker of constructive criticism, in, in both cases, we have lots of work to do. So, something like that. I hope that helps. Carolina is saying, the question is disconnected from the thread. Yes, I'm saying that. So, I will, if you agree, if it's no problem, Carolina, maybe now we are again one hour, eight minutes. So, just to follow the speciousness call, numbering call. Uh, we may leave that one for next Thursday. We can begin with, with that one. You can pre-save that one and share that to me next Thursday. In the beginning, you did that today, sorry. <laughs> but everything happened in a particular way. Again, it was not in our, in our control, so the topic went in this direction. So I think it's, yeah, it's better we can close here and try to make full circle with the different topics we spoke today related to each other. And, and next week we continue with some other nuanced uh, topics and subjects. So, thank you so much for your time, your questions, your presence, your constructive criticism and praise. Hopefully, help me with that. <laughs> and I promise to commit myself in that connection as well. Srila Gurudev ki jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Sri Navadigdham ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gaur Pramananda Haribo.